Hello, friends. Your friendly neighborhood storyteller, Will, here. Long time no see. If you follow us on the socials, then you know we've been on a hiatus, and still are from recording, while we catch up on our editing backlog. But we'll still be posting the episodes on Sundays as we finish them, leading up to our new recording session on October 16th. If you don't follow us, well, now you know where we've been. I'm so excited to bring you a brand new episode of Academy H, especially this one, since it features our first ever guest star, Amber Logsdon, aka The Space Jamber, on all socials. They'll introduce themselves in just a few moments, but all of us at Live from the Apocalypse are super lucky and very happy that they were generous enough with their time to join us for this arc. And speaking of Live from the Apocalypse, that's us. Just like everything we do, this podcast benefits a non-profit or aid organization, in this case, the International Rescue Committee. We pick beneficiaries and then set a goal of $2,000. Once we hit that goal, we vote to pick the next one, and so on. We also record the show live. You can catch us on Twitch every other Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, recording two episodes at a time, which is also where the majority of our fundraising happens. And you can find all of that info, our full schedule, socials, and Discord community link at lfta.card.co, that's C-A-R-R-D dot C-O, or on our Twitch at twitch.tv slash live from the apocalypse. Feel free to join us. We'd love to have you. The rest of the cast will be back in the intro-outro rotation soon, which I know a few people have asked about, so look forward to that on new episodes. And without further ado, here's Academy H, Signs and Portents, Part 1. We are live from the apocalypse. If you have not joined us before, we play tabletop games for charity. Uh, We raise money for progressive causes and good organizations, and currently... We are raising money for the International Rescue Committee, which, if you are not familiar with the International Rescue Committee, they're a great organization with over, I think, 80 years of history at this point. They were formed sometime in the 1930s to address humanitarian crises all over the globe. They are currently active in 40 countries, including the United States of America, because isn't this a fun time that we live in? There are humanitarian crises happening everywhere and more every day, and they are doing uh, very good work to help mitigate some of it. This is Academy H. Academy H is our Masks actual play podcast where we get to pretend to be teenage superheroes, Um, a thing that we all secretly want to do at all times. But we actually have the opportunity to do it here, which is great. If you've not played Masks before, it is a Powered by the Apocalypse system. It is a lot of fun. It is a very good time. Thank you for joining us. With all that being said, let's get into introductions. We are going to go in alphabetical order. And we are going to um, end with our guest. We are joined by our very good friend tonight, and I will let them introduce themselves when it is their turn. Brendan, you're up first. I thought for half a second I might actually have been spared this this time, but it was not to be. Uh, hello, everyone. Same order every time, bud. <laughs> Out there in Streamland. Uh, hello, my name is Brendan. I play Victory here on Academy H. Uh, I also... <clears throat> H? Uh, all right, that's a thing. <laughs> I also run uh, Missing Numbers, uh, Pokemon Elder Tour Sports Anime, every other Tuesday. Uh, I also will play in and run one-shots on the channel here occasionally, uh, as I did uh, yesterday. For 12 hours. For, yes, yes. But uh, I also am a professional game master. I run games for money that I am told are good and people want to pay for them. So... If you would like to do that and give me money to do a good game at you, you can email me at creative.catacombs at gmail.com. And I think that about covers it. Take this cup away from me. 
Big ups again for the 12-hour stream yesterday. That was huge. Thank you so much. Um, hi, I'm Jamie. I play uh, Danny Carseat, a.k.a. The Stage, who uses the Harbinger rulebook, which is a very fun, cool rulebook um, about being confusing to everybody else in your party. I highly recommend it. I am a comedian based out of the Pacific Northwest. If you enjoy me, you can follow my socials. They're all a Jamie Carbone on Twitter, Instagram, uh, TikTok. And last night, I got a fist bump from a guy who used to be on SNL. And now I'm feeling great. <laughs> Thank you. I'm done. I'm JD. I play Casimir Bright, a.k.a. Spectral, um, who uses the Scion playbook. I also play in Will's Game Class Reunion, and I occasionally run one-shots for the channel as well. You may see more of that in the future as a slight plug. And I usually have some theater things to promote, but sadly I've stepped back from virtual theater for the time being uh, to focus more on content creation. We'll see how that goes. We'll see when I get back in. I keep getting pulled back into shows, so that'll probably happen sooner or later. And I think that's about it for me. Socials are all JD, not Jason Dean on Twitter and Insta. So you can stalk me there if you so choose. Hi, I'm Julia, the local Delaware cryptid. I play Lyra Kroll, which is the Janice playbook uh, here on Academy H. I'm also a player in Class Reunion, where I play uh, Kelly Violet. You can follow me at HexWhat on Twitter and Instagram, but otherwise, I am just lurking in the Discord always. And that's it. Uh, Hi, my name is Will. I do a lot of stuff here at Live from the Apocalypse, but it is pretty much all under the umbrella of Live from the Apocalypse. So uh, if you want to keep up with any of it, follow the channel, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of that. I run Class Reunion, which is our 5e game about high school students from Ohio who have been trapped in a fantasy world. I play Julian Rue, ex-team rocket grunt turned chef in Missing Numbers. I'm in Mercy of Time, our current Wildcard Wednesday game that is about to end with the next session. I'm also playing Stephen Bedrock in The Maple League, which uses Pokemon Tail's system and is set in the fictional Kando realm, heavily inspired by Canada in the real world. And my character is an incredibly niche reference to a Canadian punk band that no one has ever gotten and probably never will. If you want to check any of that out, please feel free. Hi, everybody. I'm Amber, also known as the Space Jamber on Twitter and Twitch. Um, I am a TTRPG writer, editor, streamer, podcaster, all of the above with talent so varied. You can call me the TTRPG Swiss Army Knife. I'm also really thrilled to be here. I've, you know, been like a like friend of Will's like in the space for a minute, but also like uwu fan so i'm really really excited to like be here for academy h um i quick things to plug i guess i'm finishing up my taco bell themed solo journaling game called fire sauce fever dream sometime this week so that i can publish it in time to have it submitted to taco bell quarterly it is a real literary journal Mm -hmm. I am going to be playing Berkeley Drennan, also known as Borealis. They are the Nova playbook here, and they're kind of like a mix of like Jean Grey and Kitty Pride. And literally, the like main inspiration was when Will and I were doing our session zero. I was like, "Listen, Max Benes from Say Anything wrote a comic for X Men a while ago called The Worst X Men Ever," and I really love that can we take a little bit of that character and so that's you know we just mashed up some of my favorite x-men with that um so uwu fingers all around baby very good let's play masks shall we 
It has been about a week since the events that took place at the Heraklion, the headquarters of the Superhuman Regulatory Agency, Interspec. Upon entering the grounds of the Heraklion, an alarm was triggered by Casimir Bright. As the Interspec agents descended on you, as you made the choice to leap through a portal that appeared in front of you and disappeared. You were followed by your concerned teammate, Danny Carsey. And that portal took you to your childhood home, though your supervillain father was not immediately there. Instead, you made a series of deals with the demon Crossroads, mostly in exchange for information. And in the aftermath of that, you sent Danny Carseed away, and you set out to have a conversation with your father. Now that conversation, how do you think it went? I think that depends on what dad's reaction would be to Kaz admitting that he just made a deal with Crossroads. That is fair. Because I think that would have set the tone. In that case, what I'm going to say is that the interaction was confusing. It was very mixed. You got the impression that, if anything, he was sad. But that's a conversation for another time. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, There is. There sure is. And in the week since, have you attempted to go back to the Brandt Academy? Or have you been keeping your distance? And does that apply to your squad mates as well? I think Kaz has definitely been in touch with his squad mates. I think whether he returned is somewhat based on the vibe he was getting from that contact with them. Like he probably would have met up with any of them at a coffee shop off campus. But if he had the sense that it wasn't safe to return to the Brandt Academy, he would have kept his distance. Who would you have reached out to? I think Kaz would have started with Bethel because she had texted him. And so he had let her know that he was all right and that he was safe and potentially would have met up with her. But I know, well, I'm guessing that Bethel has had enough on her plate that that might not have been an immediate offer. So I think following Bethel, he would have reached out to Danny and just also made sure that Danny got back safely and was now literally back in one piece, since that had been a thing that had not been the case when Kaz last saw him and would have probably asked Danny if Danny thought it was safe for him to come back, kind of what the vibe was. Let's start with Bethel then, because Bethel, you may recall that as you were leaving the Heraklion, there was a report that came in to Micah Masterson that they had captured the assailant that they had been trying to track down, the one who used a glass-like substance as a weapon and trapped Luminary inside of it. And in the lobby, as you went up there, you saw your sister. Now, there was some other stuff that happened there too, nothing really notable. There was one other person in the lobby who <laughs> appeared to be a, uh, a newly re-empowered Dr. Charles McManus Jr., Dr. Victory, but that's not really important. What was important was your sister being arrested. She didn't acknowledge you. She didn't out you or anything like that. The only thing she did do was glare at you. Now, 
When Kaz reaches out to you a day or two later, even if you haven't been to the Brandt Academy campus, you have heard from Alex and Danny that the next day, a tall, bald man in a suit had shown up at the school with a group of agents dressed similarly and swept the place, despite the protests of Christine Adams, the headmistress, Leo Sobrero. What they found, none of you are really sure, they did leave empty-handed, as far as anyone could tell. Well, knowing that information from the others, when Kaz reaches back out, I think Lyra will, again, as Bethel will kind of tell them that she thinks, wait a few more days, and then we'll go see Leo. And I think it's, she tries her best to make it clear that, like, she's ready to throw her absolutely non-existent weight around. So you're going to give it a couple days before you go to Leo and try to get more information about everything. In that intervening time period, Victory, have you made attempts to reach out to your mentor? Yeah, I mean, I actually kind of assumed I was, I kind of assumed after, you know, he acknowledged my existence at the Heraculum. I kind of assumed we were going to have a conversation then just because like, um, there are, there are questions. There are questions. Um, um questions. Plural. I'm, what I'm going to say happened in the aftermath of your meeting, your reunion, let's say at the Heraclean, he has been dodging your calls. He greeted you. He said, ah, victory lad. There you are at the Heraclean. And then very quickly after that, excused himself. He said, the city needs me and took off. And since then, he has been responding to texts. He has not been picking up the phone if you tried to call him, but he has been responding to texts, basically saying that he's, he's very busy right now, you know, fighting crime, saving the city. But you will have a conversation soon. He has been assuring you. Honestly, at a certain point, Alex is probably going to just straight up, like, break into the brownstone and just, like, camp out until Dr. McManus shows up for however many days that takes. So then we can say that you have, you have been crashing at the McManus brownstone for the intervening time period. He, as far as you can tell, has not been home. Like for several days, he has just not shown up. You've seen no sign of him. I'm assuming I went to the hospital and I checked it out and like, and all I got was that shit blew up. If you went to the hospital, what you would have been told was that there was an explosion one wall of the building was basically blown to smithereens and they would have informed you perhaps reticently that Charles McManus Jr. disappeared in the aftermath. No one had seen or heard from him since. They were actually very afraid. They would have expressed fear that he had been taken by whoever caused the damage. So as far as you can tell, Dr. Victory has been off the map. For about a week. Aside from that one time you saw him at the Heraclean when he brought in this mysterious supervillain. Danny, that basically means that you have been alone in your room, in the suite of your squad, for a week. So I would say that you would probably have been the one to have seen the, the agents come in and sweep the place before leaving. Danny would have assumed that was normal. Like, where Danny is from... Things were pretty controlled. So for a group to suddenly like swarm in and check things to Danny's brain, it would have been like, makes sense, you know, do what you got to do. 
Mm, yeah. Mm. Fascist dystopia. Yeah. Mm, mm. Especially because it doesn't seem like they would have asked permission. If they had asked Danny if it was okay, he probably would have been like, no. <laughs> but when they came in, conf- confidence was so key in this particular <laughs> mission that. And Danny for sure did not leave. Like Danny just stood there the whole time while they did it and just was like, do you guys want anything to drink or can I, how? you know, just try to be a good host. Thinking that he was in the process of making friends. Did Danny get a lot of names to add to his dad question mark list? No. You know, it, Danny isn't a suit person. So I think them all coming in in suits would have been like, well, these aren't my father. Because <laughs> that is a genetic uh, predisposition, as we all know. Danny's never worn a suit his whole life. Absolutely never. You can yep. see that on a pennant square. Yeah. Yeah. Checks out. The math maths. When nobody comes home that first night. So Danny is never going to be the first one to text. Danny is perfectly fine texting back, but Danny, I don't want to call it phone anxiety. Danny just isn't used to phones. He uses them for his research when he's like looking up everything, but he, he's never the first one to be like, you'll never get a, like a 2 AM you up text from Danny (laughs) Carsey. If you do. (laughs) Know that you are in grave danger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something is wrong. So the first night nobody comes home almost immediately out of a fear of being alone again, Danny will have teleported in mannequins and used everyone else's clothing to dress them up so that he can have someone to talk to and bounce ideas off of to the point where like if you were like if this was a montage you would see the mannequins moving throughout the apartment throughout the day <laughs> like them watching TV together Danny making them food but Danny doesn't know how to cook so it's like ramen and like just a stick of butter on top Danny just trying his absolute best his anxiety is like starting to peak uh, mostly because during the day that is what he's doing and at night he is trying to figure out a way to get in to speak to Nina like he is running recon on the building where they he knows she is so that he can try and figure out if she is going to become the Nina he knows or if the timeline has changed too much where the Nina he knows is now an impossibility. How secretive have you been while casing it? Like, have you just kind of been walking back and forth in front of it to the point where the guards are like starting to be able to identify you by sight, maybe even waving to you or are you actually being more surreptitious about it? So occasionally Danny will walk by just being like, trying to throw them off as being a goofball. But then like the second he is out of sight, he like will teleport away and like test where he can teleport in the building. Like try and like look up uh, blueprints of the building itself, try and figure out as much as he can, but he wants them to make sure that they do not realize he is capable of this. He wants them to think that he is a goofball um, because he is not completely blind to how others treat him. So he is trying to lean into that aspect while um, buckling down for the first time uh, in a minute. The first thing you would realize is that your attempts to teleport inside of the Heraklion fail, similarly to your attempts to try to teleport inside of the Powers, Inc. holding facilities. When you open a portal, it doesn't seem to lead anywhere, and it, it, it's almost solid. Can Danny teleport to the top of the building? So the way the Heraklion is laid out is that it is a, um, it is a complex. It is one large building that takes up about mm-hmm. the, about a city block, and it has a fence that runs around the right. outside of it. 
you cannot teleport anywhere past the fence. At least not from the outside. You remember once you were inside, you were able to open a portal. Whether or not it would have led you anywhere in particular, or whether it just disrupted the portal that Kaz jumped into, you don't know. All right, so after the first day, Danny would have absolutely tried to take a janitor's place. And not in a way that makes sense. Like, Danny would have, he wouldn't have stolen an ID or anything. Danny just sees janitors comes and go, sees that they're not paid attention to. (sighs) (laughs) Steals some of their uniforms from, like, a janitor at home. Puts a big fake mustache on. And legitimately just tries to go in, not realizing ID is a necessary part of this. I think that, that there is probably a montage, like a series of Danny's attempts to sneak <laughs> uh, his way into the facility and absolutely failing, getting turned away at each turn. Like one time the guards just catch you right at the gate. Another time you like turn a corner and Micah Masterson is just kind of waiting for you there with his arms across his chest and just like points uh, towards the door. Yes. Another time you're, you know, escorted out by a group of, of agents. You never make it very far. You never really make it past walking into the lobby. That makes perfect sense. Uh, that, yeah. that said, by like the third time, Danny will be like, same time tomorrow? To like, as he's being escorted out of the building. <laughs> Seems safe to say that that would probably be Micah, who you would say that to as he's escorting you out. Yes. Yeah. And also, occasionally, Danny will call him dad to gauge what his response is to that. Not every time, but it'll be like, you know, father-son bonding, huh? (laughs) Micah pays as little attention to you as humanly possible as he pulls you out of the building and just kind of, like, leads you out to the gate. Doesn't throw you, obviously, but, like, sort of lightly shoves you to the other side. And he says, I'll tell you what, you can come back here when you bring my missing sword with you. Okay, we're off the grounds, right? You are, yes. Okay, the second Micah turns away from Danny, I'm grabbing that second sword. I am taking his last katana that he has on him. I'm stealing it now because I hate him. Hate is a strong term. <laughs> I was gonna say that escalated quickly. <laughs> Danny is for sure trying to earn, earn Micah's respect somehow, and Danny doesn't even know why, but he feels like he has to have it at this point. And petty larceny is all Danny really knows. Okay. So I'm gonna try and steal his sword and then make a run for it. So you're just literally grabbing it and running for it, not using your powers or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, all yeah. Right, cool. No, okay. no, no. Micah yells out after you as you grab it and chases you for a couple of steps. You're halfway down the block away from him, and he just kind of like throws his hands up in the air. As I run into the portal, Danny turns his head back real quick and just yells, It's the point of the thing, and then disappears into the portal. If I can't beat you in combat, I'll defeat your self esteem. I'm taking your ego down, baby. This is his whole night. Amazing. Micah goes back inside the, the Heraklion and you have your little your little side adventure caper and you have a second katana now that you have you have taken from 
Micah Masterson. Congratulations. Yes. And then as I get back to the dorm, I open into the white room. And as I go in there, um, you will have, you will see that the first katana has, I've been bedazzling it. And I pick up the bedazzler and look at the second katana and I'm like, time to go to work. Perfect. (laughs) Some hot glue and sequins. Now, when you go into the white room, because we established that the white room portals are a little bit different from your regular portals in so much that they remain open. Mm -hmm. It's not like you jump through and then they close behind you. No, these are things that I have to actively. Yeah. So when you're in the white room, you can still sort of perceive what's happening on the other end of the portal, wherever you came from. Yeah. So I can jump back out immediately. All right. Well, then I don't want other people to know. Perfect. Then I believe uh, as you are bedazzling the katanas. You hear a knock at the door of the suite. I, I, I will go and I will leave the room, close the portal, and then uh, look through the people. Assuming these dorms have people. We'll say they do. You see Claire Perkins, the guidance counselor, standing on the other side of the door. She is uh, looking down at, at her phone. Claire is my friend. I will immediately open the door. She almost looks surprised. She looks up a little shocked. And she quickly tucks the phone away in her pocket and says, Danny, I didn't think anyone was, was here. Danny will, oh God, Danny will say, the gang's all here, and then gesture to the mannequins. Her expression changes from a happy one at seeing you to a deeply concerned one that she covers almost immediately with clinical practice but she is caught off guard enough that she cannot quite hide it fast enough that you don't see it and she says great can i come in can we can we talk (laughs) she will step inside and she will close the door of the suite behind her and she will say so should i be worried gesturing to the mannequins Danny will, Danny will like break the mask for a second and be like, I know they're not really them. I'm just lonely. I had a feeling your squad mates aren't around then. No, they, life has been hectic and I understand that they have things to focus on. So really I'm just here for them when they need me, whenever that may be. I see. I don't want you to get the impression that I am trying to get anyone in trouble or trying to get you to give any information away that you think they would rather have not getting out. I know that the EIB came through. I know that they searched the suite. I know that they were looking for Kaz. I'm not asking you to tell me where Kaz is. I don't want you to think that any line of conversation that we have right now is me trying to do that or that you have to to tell me anything. I just want to know, is everyone okay? We will be okay. Because we have each other. Are you hungry? I'm fine. Thank you. That's good to hear, Danny. There was another reason that I came by. And um, I had imagined that there would be more of your squad here. But I'm hoping you'll still be willing to help me out. How can I help? Well, Danny, you have a very unique way of looking at the world a very fresh way i think that has been really beneficial to your squad in general i'm hoping we can translate that to something else there's a student 
at the academy that I've been working with, they've been going through a really hard time. I was hoping that I might be able to have them spend a little time with your squad, give them the opportunity to evaluate whether this is something they might actually want to do with their life, whether they might want to pursue being a hero with all of the risks and consequences that come along with it. I can only speak for me, but absolutely. Good. If you're available, I am meeting with them a little bit later today. If you'd, if you'd like to join us, I would really appreciate that. If I can leave the responsibility of introducing them to the rest of your squad as well, once you're all back together. Danny will um, take a quick look at, at his watch and be like, well, I was supposed to hang out with Mr. Masterson later, but Danny will reach into a portal, pull out mm. the bedazzled katana, the one that's already completed, and then open another portal that is clearly the front door of Micah Masterson's home, and then just shove it right into the door, and then close that portal, and then look over at Claire and be like, I'm good whenever you are. They are coming back, right? They, they will be back soon, the other members of your squad? I believe they will be. Maybe I should check in on them as well. Moving away briefly, Kaz, have you ended up back at the kettle? I think Kaz would have called the kettle just to see if there were any updates on Reese. And I think in light of everything in that conversation, he would have asked if any strange people in suits or uniforms or anything like that had shown up since that's something that's happened to him before uh, there. So I think he would really want to find out about Reese primarily, but probably would not go back unless Reese was there. Okay. You call the kettle, the phone rings a few times, and then a voice picks up, says, Kettle, you would recognize the voice as uh, Murphy. Okay. In which case, Kaz says, hey, Murphy, it's Kaz. Uh, I was just calling to see if Reese was there. Oh, Kaz. That's, uh, that's crazy timing, actually. Yeah, he uh, just got back. No shit? Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't call you. He said he was gonna. I don't know. Maybe I missed it somehow, but I'm I'm glad to hear he's back. Did he say where he'd been? No, it didn't didn't actually say much of anything, but I mean, between you and me, he looked rough. I'm not sure what happened, but I didn't get the impression he wanted to talk about it. He pretty much went right to bed. So I'm guessing now probably wouldn't be a good time to swing by. Gee, God, I don't know, Kaz. I mean, maybe. I'm a little worried, to be honest. Yeah, I, I can uh, I can be over there in the next half hour. Yeah, great. I mean, you know, the back way in, so. Yeah, I'll be there as soon as I can. And then with a typical bartender terseness, Murphy hangs up the phone. And so I think with that, uh, Kaz is going to head over to the kettle. He's probably going to borrow one of his father's cars 
I feel like Kaz has learned how to make uh, keys out of bone. So even if his dad has hidden the keys, he can still create them. And there's probably some cars he can't use because they're like, you know, push only and require special sets that cannot be made out of bone. But I think he'll probably borrow one of the cars he knows he can access. So what you're saying is that you can only steal the very expensive classic cars that still use keys. That's exactly what I'm saying. All right. Um, If you have any thoughts or opinions about what kind of car it is, feel free to enlighten me. Um, But otherwise, you can just say that you steal one of your dad's very expensive classic cars and drive it over to the kettle. I don't have any strong opinions, but I'm happy for anyone in the chat who knows more about cars than I do to give me some ideas and we can go with that. I like Aston Martin. I am definitely down to say Aston Martin. That works. Aston Martin it is. You steal one of your dad's Aston Martins, we'll say he has several, and you drive it over to the neighborhood of Corinth, sort of the hipstery, gentrified part of the city, and the punk club that is known as the Kettle, where you can make your way in through the back and up to Reese, the owner's room, as he lives above the bar. And so Kaz will knock on the door and start by seeing if he gets any response. I don't think you do at first, but after you knock several times, you do hear stirring. You hear Reese yell from inside. His voice sounds muffled at first. says, go away. And Kaz kind of pauses for a moment and then calls back, it's me, Reese. You don't receive a reply at first, and then... The door opens. A few seconds later, Reese is standing on the other side, and he grabs you by the front of your shirt and pulls you into his room and shuts the door quickly behind you. There are no lights on in Reese's room, but after he shuts the door, he will hit the light switch and turn one on, and you get your first look at Reese in about two weeks since he disappeared. And he looks, true to Murphy's word, in rough shape. You don't know when the last time he slept was, but it has clearly been a long time. There are deep, deep bags under his eyes. Uh, He looks pale, which Reese has always been on the tanner side. So you're not sure if this is the result of him not feeling well or being sick or, or something like that, or whether or not this is just a natural thing. Aside from that, his heavily tattooed arms are crossed across his chest, almost sort of hugging himself. His eyes are kind of darting everywhere, and he has at least several days' worth of stubble on his face. But perhaps most notably, his hair, which was very long, is gone. He has shaved his head. It very much still has the paleness of a freshly shaved head that has like never seen sunlight before. And I think Kaz looks appropriately horrified to see all of that. He moves to the windows. The second floor of the kettle, being an old building like it is, has very large, expansive windows. You've been in Reese's room before, and you know that he has these heavy blackout curtains. He always has. They're drawn now. And he peels one back slightly, glancing out the window and says, 
Did anyone, did anyone see you come here? No, no one saw me. You're sure? I'm positive I was looking. Okay. He moves back from the window and over to his very unmade, messy bed. There is a duffel bag open on one half of the bed. You can still see clothes and what looks like maybe a first aid kit. It looks like a go bag. I think Kaz takes kind of all of that in and then just says, holy shit, Reese, what, what the fuck happened? I've been looking for you for weeks. Why? Because you disappeared. And I was worried about you. Do you honestly think I didn't have a good reason to? I didn't know what had happened. All I knew was that a fucking demon showed up while we were at brunch. And when all of the chaos ended, you were gone. I thought you might have been hurt. I thought... I don't know. I didn't know what to think. I was calling all of the hospitals, seeing if you were there, because I couldn't think of another reason why you would have just disappeared. Uh, so at, so at brunch, feels like a fucking lifetime ago, I told you that I used to be a superhero that I had powers but I didn't tell you what those powers are or how they work or or anything like that didn't really get a chance before uh, things went to hell pun not intended because my my body my body has precognition which I need you to understand, I don't have precognition. I don't know what is happening, what is about to happen, but my muscles, my body reacts to it. And Kaz is just kind of taking that in in like silence, like just trying to process all of that and certainly wondering where this is going, but not wanting to interrupt. It's like, you've heard of muscle memory. It's like that, except I don't know what's about to happen. Like, I don't know why my body is reacting, but it does. So when everything started, everything started on the street. when you started using your your powers. I ran. And I didn't know why I ran. At least not at first. And then Stricker found me. 
you might as well know, I used to work with him when I first started. I uh, guess he was my mentor. Sidekick is, you know, not my favorite word, but probably pretty accurate. He found me, tracked me down. He told me, Kaz, who you are. Who you actually are. That wasn't his secret to tell. Yeah, I agree. I know. Look, um, doesn't really matter, because that was a long time ago, but, you know, he's the reason, almost solely, <laughs> why I stopped doing this why I got out of this world why I never wanted to go back to it and you you, you brought me back into it Kaz you didn't know who I was you didn't know who I had been but you you, you brought it to my house you brought it to my business into my life I wasn't hiding from you for the last two weeks I was trying to stay away from Stricker but I mean that doesn't change things he wanted to bring me in for questioning Kaz <laughs> and maybe worse I don't know but I I learned a lot from working with him. I know how he works. I know how he thinks. So I vanished. There's definitely a mixture of emotions going across Cass's face as Reese talks. Like, ranging from... At several points, enough anger that it seems like he's one step away of, like, two punching a wall. Um... Particularly when Reese talks about the fact that Stricker was looking for him, you know, wanted to bring him in for questioning, like that brings up a lot of anger. And then as Reese talks about the fact that Kaz brought all of this to his door, there's definitely guilt and sadness mixed in. And he kind of needs to take a moment to take a breath or two before he says I'm sorry Reese I never meant for any of this to happen and I definitely didn't mean for you to be brought back into a life you distanced yourself from and I'm sorry that hiding who I was put you in this position. Look, for the record, I I don't think you're, like, evil or whatever. Um, but it, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I understand that you're trying to distance yourself from your dad and be someone else, be your own person, figure out exactly who that's going to be. And that's great. And I'm happy for you, and I want to support you. 
But I mean, that's... That's a whole other world, Kaz. And like... You know, there's... Involving me is one thing. But... You know, the other people who work here... Most of them don't have powers. The people who come here... Same deal. You gotta understand, Kaz, that when you bring someone into your life... Like it or not... You're making them a target. Maybe not for your dad... Certainly not on purpose, but not everybody's built for this, literally. And Kaz's face definitely falls as Rhi says this, and as he's reflecting on all of the people directly and indirectly he's been connected with recently. And then he just takes another deep breath and says, Yeah, I... I get it. What do you need from me, Reese? I I think I have a guess, but... Nothing, Kaz. Um, I'm not going to tell you to stay away from me or stay away from the kettle. I'm not trying to cut you off from anything that helps you with what you're going through. But I mean... You have to figure this out. You have to figure this out or else eventually they're going to push you so hard that you prove them right. And when you say them, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. I, Stricker, the EIB, unless there's someone else, he's dangerous, Kaz. You don't want him to be your enemy. And I don't know if there's a way you can avoid that. I don't know if if there is something you can do to get him off your back. Take, do it. Because I don't... I don't even know if he has powers. I don't think he knows if he has powers either. You know, he was mnemonic. He was part of the Union Heroic before he retired. And he just... He figures things out. That's what he does. He... He does the math. He... Looks at all the angles. He picks the most direct route. I don't know if he has powers or if he's a genius or if his power is that he's a genius but you're only going to be able to run from him for so long as much as it pains me to say this you you can't do this alone and I can't help you yeah I I get that I I understand that and I I mean, especially, especially given everything that's happened these past couple of weeks, I wouldn't ask you to do that, Reese. But if it, if it eases your mind at all, there are other people that can help with this. 
I mean, I don't want to speak for him, so there are other people I can ask for help. And I I trust them. Good. And they know who I am. No, I mean, I'm... I'm glad to hear it. You should do that soon. I don't know what happened, but something just changed. I don't know what you did, or I don't know what happened to you, or... But I think he was waiting for an excuse. And whatever just went down, he has it now. Yeah, that that seems about right. Uh, that... Yeah. Reese, I, I did need to ask you one thing. You... You said that your ability is that your body has precognition and your body will act kind of without you knowing why. And you'd said with what happened at brunch, you hadn't known why in the moment, but you'd figured it out. Was it my magic that made your body react that way? Um, you know, who can say? There was a lot going on. Could have been the demon showing up, you know? Like, could have been any of the other people throwing glass around or uh, almost getting stabbed. Who knows? If you want, you could pierce the mask. I, I think uh, I would like to do that. All right. What am I rolling with for that? I believe that is rolling with mundane. Okay. Yeah, that that's uh that is not happening. That is a 2. All right. Uh it is a 2. You get to mark a potential, so do that. And Reese does not appear to know what set his powers off in which case Kaz accepts that as an answer because that makes perfect sense that it was a really chaotic time with a lot of variables so he doesn't push that and just says yeah that that makes sense all right very very good um i think a a expectedly awkward silence follows that exchange Look, I'm um I'm pretty wiped out still. You you got somewhere to go, right? Yeah, I've got somewhere to go. Good. Okay. Uh Reese does not tell you to leave but he does kind of just lay back on the bed and kind of rolls over so his back is to you and Kaz can definitely like read the room and he does stand there for a few moments and then just says Teresa's back 
look, I'm, I'm just glad to know you're still alive and as okay as you are. Take care of yourself. Stay safe. Without rolling over, Reese says, yeah, yeah, you, you too. And Kaz will head out at that after probably like a few more seconds of just standing there, um, but then move to leave. Um, and I, I think as he walks out, he's pretty sure it's going to be his last time seeing Reese and going to the kettle for the foreseeable future. You step outside and there is a there is a back staircase that leads up the door to Reese's apartment over the kettle. And from the top of that staircase, you can look out and see where you had managed to find a parking spot for the acid martin that you had stolen on the street. And as you do, you notice there are several people in suits standing around it, kind of actively scanning the area. What do you do? Well, this has been a time to make a string of bad decisions, and I'm reflecting on the fact that well, this won't clear the condition, uh, Kaz is still angry. And he is even angrier with what Reese said as he's reflecting on the fact that Stricker came to him shortly after Reese disappeared, heavily implied that my father was responsible uh, for Reese disappearing when he probably very well knew that that was not the case um, and that I have now been stalked here, so I think Kaz is just going to walk right out to the car. Okay, very interesting. Um, You walk out to the car, and pretty much right away, you get spotted. There are, we will say, four people in suits standing around the vehicle and one of them spots you and gets the attention of the others you see them sort of surreptitiously not that surreptitiously put a hand up to like their ear and then sort of say something very quietly and then they all turn and face you the one who spotted you is a man who's about the same height as you and as you step out of the alley he unbuttons the front of his jacket he doesn't make a move if he has a weapon he doesn't make a move for it, but he does unbutton the front of his coat and kind of squares off as you approach. And I will say Kaz is not approaching aggressively. He is just walking towards the car as though he is just going to be heading home. Like he is not trying to provoke he's just walking straight ahead okay while the man does not move to get out of your way or anything like that there is another person who's going to step forward 
They are femme presenting with blonde hair that is cut short, kind of swept to one side in a very business-like manner. Similarly wearing a suit, as you might expect, with sunglasses. And they are going to interpose themselves between you and the man. And as you approach, going to call out and say, Casimir Bright? Yeah? They will pull one side of their jacket back and show you a badge on their hip for the uh, Extraordinary Investigations Bureau. And they'll say, I'm Senior Agent Riggs. I'd like to have a word with you. And if I decline that request? At that point, one of the other individuals around your car is going to step up to Agent Riggs' side. This man, however, is not wearing a suit. This man is wearing very sort of casual street clothes, but with kind of a big green military-style coat over it. Just like t-shirt, jeans, boots, brown hair, brown eyes, haircut, short. Very much kind of carries himself with that casual air of someone who is absolutely willing to start a fight. And he's going to say with a slight hint of an accent, he's going to say, well, then I guess that depends how you decline. Look, I don't want any trouble. I just want to go about the rest of my day. I'm not here to have the fight. In fact, it's all of you who seem ready and willing and able to uh, start threatening a teenager. I was just going to the club. I didn't know that was a crime. He shrugs and says, yeah, right. You're not looking for trouble. I wasn't looking to fly to the opposite side of the country. So neither one of us is getting what we want right now. And the agent, Agent Riggs, the woman who identified herself, is going to sort of tilt her head and she's going to say somewhat sharply, she's going to say, Walters, step back. At which point the man in the coat puts his hands up and takes a couple steps back. And Agent Riggs is going to turn back to you and say, look, you don't want any trouble. I don't want any trouble either. My boss just wants to talk to you. Yeah, well, your boss isn't one of my favorite people. I don't really want to talk to him. I want to be clear, it is not my job to convince you to like my boss, but it is my job to evaluate how much of a threat you are. And I'm willing to bet that you saw us and you still walked over here, which tells me one of two things. Either you did it to cooperate or you did it to start a fight. I did it to get into my car. It just so happens that you're between me and that objective. She looks over her shoulder and she says, well, this car is reported stolen. So. And Kaz kind of takes a moment with that. And then his face gets a lot more serious. And he looks at Agent Riggs and says, you're saying that you're here to evaluate how dangerous I am. If my father finds out that you've taken me somewhere, and especially if you're not letting me go, 
I think that would be a really, really bad outcome if we're talking about who's dangerous. All right. Well, we're playing Powered by the Apocalypse. We are playing to find out what happens. Oh, boy. So, you say that, and almost as soon as you are done making that sentence, the man that Agent Riggs identified by the name Walters is going to start stepping back to you. He is not quite going to get into your face, but he is going to say, as he's doing so, oh, hell no. And as that is happening, Agent Riggs is going to say, with a warning tone to her voice, Walters, and he is going to hold a hand up and he's going to say, no, no. If he wants to make threats about what his supervillain daddy is going to do, bring him, bring him here. You know, let's see if he's as dangerous as they say he is. Let's see if he's as bad as they say he is. (laughs) And Kaz is just going to look at him and say, you were all the ones who started making threats making clear that you had weapons, telling me that I had to go with you. Like I said, I just want to go to my car and leave. I don't want to bring my dad into this. I'm just saying, if you make the choices that it seems like you're about to make, I don't see how there's another option. I didn't say shit about having a weapon, but if you want to see it, I will show it to you. Unless you need to wait for daddy to get here. And I am going to say you are going to take a condition. Angry is already marked. I'm going to say that I'm going to say that what he is saying to you. Yep. It's making you a little insecure. I think, I think that's fair. Um, He is clearly trying to goad you into doing something stupid and it appears to be working. And so going along the trend of making some uh, poor life decisions, I think Kaz activates his powers. So he lets kind of the aura around him drop to be filled with the purple light and the pieces of bone attached to his jacket and embedded in his jewelry start to float around him. He doesn't make any aggressive moves yet, but I suppose it's fair to say activating his power in this way is already an aggressive move. I will say that activating your power is foolhardy action, but it is not hurting someone or breaking something. So you can't clear angry, but you can clear insecure by doing this. That's fair. You activate your powers man in the green coat, Walters, as soon as you do that, he is going to smirk at you. At the same moment that your powers are taking form, this sort of greenish substance is going to spread over his body and almost immediately harden into some type of almost like armor. It covers his head and his entire body, leaving only these sorts of um, deep black circles over where his eyes are. It's it's very rough armor. Like there are some points where it's a little bit pointy and some points where it's perfectly smooth. As that covers his body, some of the same liquid hardens into some kind of fabric that drapes around his shoulders and also forms kind of a hood that casts shadows over his helmeted face. As it does so, and you finish your display of power, 
he sort of reaches behind his back and pulls out what is unmistakably a gun of some kind. It appears to be vaguely rifle-shaped. It has a very long barrel, except it looks like it is some type of carved, polished wood. It has no visible trigger, but there is an opening on one end where a barrel would be. And he kind of squares up in a very practiced shooting stance with it pointed directly at you. And he's going to say, with his voice somewhat distorted, give me a reason. So rude. Why would anyone end an episode there? Now I have to come back next Sunday to find out what happens? Ugh. You know, we're getting real community with the meta humor lately. I'm not sure how I feel about it. Hmm. Thank you so much for joining us for Academy H. This game is, once again, just something that we have all worked so hard on, and we're so excited to be able to bring it to you once again in a fully edited podcast form. There's something really special about that, and it really means the world to us that people are listening, and it's been incredible to see those listening numbers climb even while we have been on a hiatus. So thank you so much for that, truly, from the bottom of our hearts. And another truly heartfelt thanks to Amber Logsdon, aka the Space Jamber, our guest, for joining us for this arc once again. You didn't get to see much of them this episode, but trust me, you will want to come back for their character, if nothing else. If you'd like to keep up with us and what we're up to, you can follow us on Twitter at LiveFromTheApoc, Instagram and TikTok at LiveFromTheApocalypse, or join our Discord community, which will be linked in the description down below. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, feel free to give us a good rating and follow us on your podcatcher of choice. Leave a review if you're so inclined. It really does help us out so much. The donation link to our International Rescue Committee campaign can also be found in the description if you'd like to help out. And we invite you to join us for the live recordings of Academy H every other Sunday, starting back on October 16th, or any of our five other ongoing live stream campaigns that happen throughout the week over at twitch.tv slash live from the apocalypse. As always, nothing we do here would be possible without you, and we appreciate you so, so much. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Well, someone's going to have to talk about something because I have to fix this. Oh, have you seen... The only one of those I know is, have you seen uh, Elizabeth? Uh, oh, yeah. I love Elizabeth. Excuse <laughs> me, I have nine different versions on the Julia introduced <laughs> us Crazy. to that musical. Well, Elizabeth that is... musical is one of the most people Elizabeth Thus musical is one of them is the most popular like German language musical in Germany, but it is also one of the single most popular musicals in South Korea. There are two mm-hmm. different Korean troops that mm-hmm. perform that musical every year for the last 15 years ongoing and every time new casts new costumes whole new thing it's a huge huge thing it's a beautiful musical if you want to watch it i've got several several versions we can watch it i'm more referring to have any of you heard of the french gone with the wind rock opera have you ever heard of that choice that was made that's amazing at one point this is gold keep it going (laughs) <laughs> at one point, the actor who plays Red Butler, Red Butler just like gets drunk and starts hallucinating, and they have every other actor in the show put on a really creepy, like rubberized mask of the actress who's playing Scarlet, and like follows him around. 
what it's the fuck? Absolutely, it's absolutely <laughs> there is so horrifying. much to unpack there. So that's so there's that one. Um, there's the Mozart rock opera, which uh, Mozart never has a duet with his wife. His wife has a duet with his sister. Um, there's like two different uh, Solieri songs that is just like. I'm so horny for Mozart, I could die. And then Mozart and him have the last song of the musical. The entire mm-hmm. last performance of the musical is Solieri and Mozart. And it's just wildly flamboyant. And they've only performed it, I think, like once, because the actor they got to play Mozart did so well that they can't like compete with it. The guy who played Solieri uh, did go on to be King Arthur in the King Arthur rock opera, French rock opera, which. Uh, has a totally different ending. Uh, Guinevere does not run off. Uh, she stays with Arthur. It's a whole different like ending to that entire storyline. Um, the French... Okay, so the the top, the most popular French rock musical, actually, though, is the um, Romeo and Juliet musical, which was in, I think, 2001 was the first year it came out. And so I have the and the thing about European musicals is they are much more prevalent of putting out like full reporting. It's like fit, like filmed, like authorized recordings and then showing them on TV and stuff like that. And so I have a production from 2001, which was like the first cast. And then I have one from 2011. So, you know, like 10 years later, and it is the same actor who played Tybalt and the same actor who played Romeo and everyone else is different, but it's those same two motherfuckers. <laughs> Amazing. And so that musical has also been adapted across other countries. And so I have a bunch of different versions of them because I compare them because it's absolutely wild. So the Hungarian version rearranges the songs completely. And also everyone is wearing leather and everyone's in their like early 2000s hot topic phase. Tybalt. Tybalt looks like the only normal person there. Benvolio comes out wearing a fishnet top and a leopard print uh, tank top over top. I respect this. And like, we're good to go. I, I just didn't want to interrupt. Absolutely, say yes. less. I'm into this. Uh, <laughs> right. I can. That that was mesmerizing. Can't stop the signal. That was very good. Thank you. I, that's. I was about to ask Jamie if uh, if they wanted to do like a tight ten, but um, you know, this is. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> What's the deal with airline food? Uh, I'm sorry about that. I got real excited about Elizabeth. No, that was amazing. 